Hey, Mountain, thanks for joining in today. My name is Ben. How are you? I'm, I miss everybody. I wonder what's going on with your hair growing longer and your patience growing thinner. It's good to see everybody. Uh, I want to tell you before we jump in about something super important that's happening next week. It's going to be awesome. I'm sharing a message that's become kind of a favorite around Mountain. It's called The Three chairs with a bit of a twist for the coronavirus. Some of you know I've shared that message before and I've had so many people at Mountain tell me that that was the message that kind of helped them take like the most significant spiritual step of their entire lives. When I, when I have people tell me about the breakthroughs they've had in their life. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people tell me it was during the three chairs. That's when I got it. So Invite everybody you know to next week's online service because we're going we're gonna to do the Three Chairs Coronavirus Edition. And I just got to say before we jump in also, I'm so proud of our church. You know, it, it's, I, I know life's hard right now, but the ministry you all are doing, the prayers you are praying, the positive outlook you are keeping, the faith you're showing, the creativity, the love, the ministry, the dogged determination to, to get through this with grace and selflessness and your generosity. We've already raised $90,000 for the Easter offering just to make sure new ministry moves forward and our benevolence needs are met and we can fulfill our promise to Missions of Hope in Africa. You guys are awesome. And I just want to say with Galatians 6, don't let up. Don't become weary in doing good, okay? Because there's a reward coming. So much to be thankful for. Uh, I know it's not easy that times are difficult for everyone right now. I know at our house, it's tough. We ran out of toilet paper. Yeah, uh, for sure. I had to resort to using old newspapers. All I can say is the times are rough. Um, no, for real, we did run out of toilet paper. As you can see here, I thought of an alternative. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm kind of on a roll here. <laughs> All right, seriously, let's, let's just plunge ahead. We're going to get started here. Uh, because what we need to know, most importantly, is who God is right now. We've been looking at some of the names for God. We've seen that God is a way maker. He's a promise keeper. He's a provider. He's a light in the darkness. Last week, he's a God who sees. And today, as we wrap up this series, we want to focus on God, who's a miracle worker. A miracle worker. Because if, if ever there was a time when a lot of people are kind of looking around saying, man, we need a miracle, it's now. There are some ginormous challenges staring so many of us in the face, aren't there? I got an email. Please pray for me. You know, I've been laid off. My rent is coming due, and I don't know how much longer I can make this work. I got another prayer request. I'm at the end of my rope. Uh, I hate technology, she says. I'm working from home, and it's all on computer, and I, I just need this to end. I need a new job or something. I got another email. Please pray for my dad. He just got diagnosed with COVID, and he's in the hospital on a ventilator. So many things we're facing right now that we can't fix. Now, the naturalist worldview, the secularist worldview says there is no God. There is no supernatural. It's only the natural things we see and know. And we just charge forward with our DNA the best we can. But if you hold open the possibility of God and who God is, most of us believe in a God who's there and then you're ready to say, God, I need you to intervene. I need you to do something. I, I need a miracle. I wonder, you know, what do you do 
if you need a miracle. Let's look at a time in the Bible when God used a tree to perform a miracle. And if you stick with me to the very end, I'm going to show you how he wants to use a tree to do a miracle in your life too. We're going to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 15, three days earlier from where we pick up today, Moses and the children of Israel, or we call them the Israelites, they had experienced one of the greatest miracles ever performed. Back up a little. Israel was in a bad way, right? Suffering as slaves in Egypt. And God says, I see you. I hear your cries. And I'm going to do something. And I'm going to send you Moses. So you, Moses, you go down there and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses goes, but Pharaoh says no. And God says, uh-oh. And he sends a series of plagues awful stuff on the Egyptians. And still, Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not letting my workforce go. But the 10th and final plague was a doozy, the death of every firstborn male. And that's where um, every Israelite family had a lamb that they spread the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of their houses. And when the death angel came by, if you were covered by the blood of the lamb, he would pass over. That was the first Passover and Israel was spared, but the Egyptians suffered so terribly that Pharaoh finally said, okay, fine, get out of here. And the Israelites, they grabbed their stuff and they hightailed out of their running for their lives, but they didn't get very far down the road when Pharaoh changed his mind and charged out after them with his army. So here's Israel running with, I don't know, a million people and all their stuff. And about the time they think they're finally free, they look over their shoulder and they see the Egyptian army in the distance coming with chariots and horses after them. And somebody didn't check their Google Maps because as they're trying to get away, they come right up to the Red Sea. Water. And there they are, stuck between a rock and a wet place. See in front of them, Pharaoh's armies behind them. Now notice this. The Israelites see this predicament they're in. What do they do? Remember, God just performed not one, not two, not three, not seven, not nine, but ten miracles for them back in Egypt. Amazing plagues and saved their firstborn out of it. But now they're scared out of their minds. They say, we're done for, you know, and they get snarky with Moses. Thanks a lot for bringing us out here. We would have been better off serving as slaves back there and dying back there than this. And Moses says, pipe down. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You're going to see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord's going to do something big right now. And God tells Moses to take that piece of wood in his hand that staff that he had and hold out over the waters. And wow, God parted those waters and the Israelites go through on dry ground. The water was not a problem. Now, how would you feel if God did a miracle like that for you? If God saved your life, rescued you in some big way, You'd go crazy praising God, and that's what they did. They, they, they broke out in these huge songs, and they're dancing around. It's a fun chapter, Exodus 15, and they're just singing thanks and praise. You know, the Lord's my strength. He's my song. He's my salvation. Praise him. Thank him. He has power over the waters. He threw the horse and the rider into the sea. He's a way maker. My God, that's who you are, all right? When you get a miracle, you praise God like that, and you would think from that moment on, they would be the most grateful people in the world. But that's not always the way it goes, is it? Look what happens immediately after that. Verse 22 says, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert. For three days, they traveled in that desert without finding water. Uh Uh-oh. So three days later, they got another problem that has to do with water. 
This is a water shortage. They're desperate. They're dehydrated. They finally see some water off in the distance. And boy, are they ready for it. It's a place called Mara. So they stagger their way up through the desert to this spring at Mara. And finally, they're ready to scoop it in their hands and get a fresh drink of that water. But then verse 23 says, when they got there, they couldn't even drink it because it was bitter. That's what the place is called, Mara. Can you imagine that letdown? You you go three days without water, and you're finally ready for a big drink, and you go up there, and psych! You know, it's like too stinky and rank to even put in your mouth and drink. Now, already some of you thought, you know, I think we're getting to the end of this crisis. Maybe you've had a moment like that. You thought it was almost over. You know, I'm going to get a big old drink right now. Hmm. It's going to be great. But then, nope, sorry, false alarm. You know, uh, no school till May 15th. And and we kind of all know what it's like, don't we, to to go to Mara. That name Mara means bitter. I I had a a girl I liked in kindergarten, my next door neighbor, her name was Mara. I didn't know her name meant bitter back then, but that's that's what it means, bitter. And it's interesting to see how that word Mara, bitter, um, sums up some of the sour taste of life. It's all through the Bible, actually, and in our own lives. In Genesis 27, you got a guy named Esau who gets gypped out of the family blessing, and there's deep family turmoil and tension, and he's bitter about it, angry. In 1 Samuel, you got a woman named Hannah who could not conceive a child, and her infertility leads her to weep bitter tears of shame and pain. In Job... He talks about his extreme suffering, including the loss of his home and his business and his retirement. And he says, it's made me bitter. In Jeremiah 2, he talks about his sadness and his loss and, he, and his grief. And he says, it's all made him bitter. Someone has said, when you go through hard things in life, when you suffer, it can make you bitter or it can make you better. And I know some of us are really struggling right now with what we're going through. We know it's an endurance test in a way, and it's supposed to make us stronger and better, but the truth is sometimes we end up with some bitterness, don't we? And if we're honest, we probably had some bitterness going on inside of us before coronavirus ever showed up. Maybe you've got some family turmoil. You feel like you got gypped, robbed of a family blessing. There's tension and, and you're bitter about it. Or maybe you can't have children. Or the children you have are causing you pain. Or maybe there's something that happened with your business or, or your home or your retirement. Some, some loss in life. Someone died. Someone left you. And now there's an emptiness inside of you. And, and in that dark hole, bitterness has grown up. Someone told you, I'll never leave you. And then they left. Or someone cheated on you or lied to you. We know what it's like to sort of hate your hopes up and then have something in life turn out to be bitter and leave you kind of with that taste in your mouth. The waters rush in like Mara. We get filled up with it. And bitterness affects your whole outlook in life. It holds you back from having joy and gratitude inside of you so that you can kind of serve others with this like refreshing spirit that would splash on other people. You can't do that sometimes if you've got so much bitterness down inside. So we need... We need help. We need a miracle. We need heart surgery. We need a heart transplant. We need healing. So the Israelites, 
After three days without water, they finally come to water. It's bitter and undrinkable. So what do they do? They do the same thing that we often do. They start complaining. (laughs) They gripe. Verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses. What are we supposed to drink? Doesn't that sound kind of like a quarantine complaint? Like just, I want my Starbucks. What am I supposed to eat around this house? Or, you know, whatever. It's much more dire for their situation. They need water. But don't miss this. Remember now, three days ago, they were dancing around and celebrating by a big body of water because that water was no problem for my God. He's a way maker, promise keeper, they said. And he's a miracle worker. That's who you are. They were dancing three days ago, but now they don't remember any of that. They got a new problem with water and it's bitter And the bitterness is in them as much as anything. You know, in hard times, there's no shortage of people who love to complain and blame and gripe and criticize and just go ballistic and spew all their bitterness over everyone. So be careful because bitterness is contagious. You might have to practice some social distancing from people like that because that cranky mood that starts out just with an attitude can become a despairing heart when bitterness takes root. So Israel, they they had this miracle. But now they're griping again. And honestly, it it seems to me this is how miracles often work. As a pastor, I, I see miracles all the time in our church, but I've noticed something. God does a miracle, some amazing thing where he shows up, rescues, comes through for us. And at first, we're like the Israelites. We're like, wow, God, you're amazing. I love you. You're a way maker, promise keeper, yahoo. But then we get comfortable. And life goes on a little bit and we kind of forget. And then a new problem comes along where we start to complain. We get bitter. We say, come on, I don't deserve this. Where's God? I need a miracle. And then sometimes God starts the cycle over again. He comes through and does another. And we praise him for a while until we have a new problem. And I, I believe this is one reason that God isn't really that interested or in the business of just doing every little miracle and trick that we demand. Because it doesn't really accomplish his ultimate agenda, which is bringing us to him forever. More more on that in a minute. So back to Israel, they're stuck. They need a miracle. What do you do when you need a miracle? All right, let's look at what Moses and the people did. And I think we're going to see three things jump out, and I think they work for us. Number one, what do you do if you need a miracle? First, you turn to God with your need. You turn to God with your need. Be honest. Where do you turn? when you're in a horrible situation and you don't know how to fix something. What do you do? Isn't it true that we sometimes run to other people? We text our friends. What should I do? We run to the doctor. Somebody give me a lawyer. Somebody bail me out. Who's got money? We ask a relative for advice. We run to the government for a bailout. We turn to a drug for an escape. When we need help, we run all over the place. Where do you turn? And the first thing Moses did, verse 25, is he cried out to the Lord. And when you need a miracle, the first thing you should do is cry out to the Lord. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Say, I must tell Jesus. You say, God, I cannot handle this. This is bad. I need your help. Because a desperate and pleading heart, the Lord will never turn away. And I think most of us honestly understand this intuitively. We don't need this explained. This is what we do naturally. We run and turn to God in our need. But the next step is something that I think we do need a lot of help with. Because after you turn to God with your need, the next thing is we need to to look for what God wants and then do it. Step two is to do what God asks. Do what God asks. Because very often I've found when God 
does a miracle, he asks us to do something too. It might be a step of faith or some way that God wants you to obey or trust him or some way or other to cooperate in the miracle. To a lame man, Jesus said one day, pick up your mat and walk. To a leper, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And to Moses, he says, I want you to pick up that piece of wood. Verse 25 says, the Lord showed him a piece of wood. It's a piece of wood. And, and, then, and then Moses threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. It's interesting to me. Here's Moses standing before water again with another piece of wood, just like he did three days ago when he held out his staff and it parted the Red Sea. God shows him a new piece of wood, a part of a tree. And I don't know if God told Moses to throw it in the water or Moses just knew that's what God wants him to do. But the point is, he does it. He does what God asks and the water becomes sweet. Now, I got to be honest, I don't, <laughs> I don't really understand this. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Why in the world would Moses need to throw a tree into bitter water to make it pure again? And what's the point? I don't know. But I know this. I know that very often God asks us to do something that on the surface to us doesn't seem to be that important or, or might not be significant to us. He asked Noah to build a boat in the desert where it never rains. And now he asked Moses to take a worthless old tree and throw it into bitter, undrinkable, polluted water at Mara. My, my friend Mark Richardson runs an amazing car wash. He, it's called Brightview down on Route 40. A lot of you have been there down on Edgewood, right next to the epicenter. And it, I'm telling you, it's the best car wash. That's a free commercial right here because I'm telling you, you're going to love it. When I go out of there, my car is sparkly clean. It smells good. They have uh, colors and lights and all this stuff. And they got free vacuums out there. You can vacuum up all the Cheerios and the stuff in the back seat and all that. I just feel happier. And I promise if you go there, you're going to feel happy as a clam when you drive out of there. But here's, here's the thing. When you drive up, there's something you have to do before you can get your car washed. You got to stop driving. You got to put it in neutral because you don't steer your way through there. You have to yield control of your car. You have to let go of the wheel and let the conveyor belt pull you on through. It doesn't really work any other way. You, you got to surrender control of the car. You can't expect in other words, the miraculous purification that comes from the cleansing waters unless you surrender control. And I believe a lot of us want a miracle in our lives, but we want it without surrendering to God, without doing what he asks. We pray, oh God, please, please fix this relationship I'm in, or God, fix my marriage. It's so bad. I need you to do something, but I don't, I don't want to apologize to him. I don't want to apologize to her. I don't want to get counseling. She's the one with the problem. It's his deal to change, not mine. Or God, fix my health. But I'm not going to watch what I eat or exercise or go to the doctor. I just keep praying that prayer. God, my finances are such a mess. I need a miracle, but I'm not going to go to Financial Peace University or work on it with a, with another, get another job or cut my expenses or trust you with my tithe or learn how to budget. No, no, no. See, we want miracles without trusting God and doing what he asks. God can do it, but sometimes he asks you to do something too. Moses needed a miracle. He looked around and there was a, a hunk of wood and God said, throw it in. And that's what he did. What is God asking you to do right now? Instead of focusing on the miracle you need from God, maybe we need to pay attention a little bit 
to what God is asking of us? Is there something, maybe even a simple thing that seems insignificant to you, where you need to surrender control, let him pull you through a cleansing process? What's he asking you to do from his word, maybe? In your spirit, you, you know it. We all want a miracle, but sometimes we got to look around, find the wood that's there, however small and insignificant it may appear to be. I, I wonder how many miracles we never see because we don't trust him enough to do what he asks. What do you do if you need a miracle? Well, you turn to God with your need. You do what he asks. And then third, you trust him for the outcome, right? You trust him for the outcome. This may be the hardest thing when you really need a miracle because the outcome is not in our hands. It's in God's hands. So what happens in our situation here with Moses? Well, he throws the tree in the water and the Bible says he threw it in there and the water became sweet. They could drink it again. And Moses comes to God with his need, and, and, and he does what God asks, and God takes an old tree, and he does a miracle, and the waters were healed. In fact, you know, this is the first mention of healing in the Bible. And if you look at the next verse, after this miracle, God instructs the Israelites, you know, listen carefully to the Lord your God. You do what's right. You know, pay attention. To it. I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to bring diseases on you like I did the Egyptians. And then it says this in verse 26. Why? For I am the Lord who, what? Who heals you. I am the Lord who heals. And there it is. That's our new name for God today. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh Rapha, or some say Jehovah Rapha. It means the God who heals. The God who heals. This whole episode ends in verse 27. It says, they came to Elim where they were, where they were, there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Sounds like a tropical paradise. (laughs) They're in a much better place than by a bunch of bitter water in the middle of the desert. So they camped out there. They stayed there. There's 12 springs of water. So they go, they go from waters that were parted to get through on dry ground to wandering around with no water to finding bitter water to finding purified, healed water to an unlimited supply of fresh water because water is not a problem and no problem is a problem for Yahweh Rapha, the miracle worker, God who heals. That's not just what God does, it's who God is. And when you are in pain or trouble and struggling right now in the middle of coronavirus reality, you can turn to Yahweh Rapha with your need. And then look around for what he's asking you to do. And whatever the case, trust him for the outcome and the results. There's no guarantees, but you can trust him. Let me say that again. There's no guarantees. This isn't a magic charm, but you can trust him. Now, we got to move on because I just got to say, though, there is so much more we could talk about and need to talk about here, about miracles and healing about why God doesn't heal some people, why he does others, why, why he allows so much suffering in the world, why we're, why we're experiencing what we're experiencing right now. We're going to do our very best to honestly tackle some of the toughest questions that are probably on a lot of our minds right now because of COVID-19. And we're, we're calling it six feet apart because we want it to be for people who feel like answers are sometimes out of reach at a distance and life just doesn't make sense. So stay engaged for that series of weekend messages and a brand new video podcast we're putting together right now. And we're going to go after some of the big questions. But today, let me just tell you very simply about a man who had a problem, who needed a miracle from Yahweh Rapha. Jesus is in this little town called Capernaum. Um, 
people love being around Jesus so much that whenever he starts teaching or something like that, people just show up. And that's what happens here. He's in a house and everyone jams in that place like sardines. There's no social distancing. So they're, they're jammed in shoulder to shoulder. People are spilling out the front door and people are leaning in the windows. And the Bible says there was a man who needed a miracle because he can't walk. He's paralyzed. He's got two bad legs, but four good friends who, you know, they're such good buddies. They, they, we don't know why, or, but they just love this guy. They say, we've got to get our friend to see Jesus. So they rig up some kind of stretcher deal and, and, and each of them grabs a corner and they hurry to Jesus. But when they arrive, they get that sick sinking feeling in the pit of their stomach because they see that it's too crowded. They'll never get in. But these guys are so convinced that Jesus can do something. They're determined and they don't give up. They could have said, oh man, buddy, sorry. You know, we tried. Nothing we can do. Well, they don't say that. Instead, with great urgency and innovation, they, they, they see the stairs and they run up the outside of the house to the roof. That's a common feature in those days. And they, they haul their buddy up there with him and they start pulling apart the thatched roof and the dried mud and the material. And, and pretty soon they've dug a hole in the roof of the house right above where Jesus is teaching. They grab some ropes and they rig up a system where they're lowering their buddy now, their paralyzed friend, down on a mat right in front of Jesus. Who does that? I mean, you go to a restaurant and it's packed and they tell you, I'm sorry, uh, it'll be an hour wait. Who, who climbs up on the roof with an ax and chops their way down to their table? I mean, it's crazy. Wrecking the roof is bold. It's innovative. And, and it shows how desperate these people were to get their friends, their friend to Jesus. And, and I got to be honest, this is why Mountain is innovating right now. Uh, during this coronavirus thing, we're reinventing church. We're making everything digital. We're doing stuff on Zoom. We're going to figure this out. Why? Because we're going to do whatever it takes to get any friend to Jesus in this unusual time. You got to wreck the roof if that's what it takes. And we're willing to do it. So imagine now what it's like for Jesus and the friends inside the house. I mean, he's teaching away. And then all of a sudden there's some dust that starts coming from, and they start looking up and now huge chunks come down. They clear an opening because now comes this guy down, lowered by ropes right in front of Jesus in the middle of his talk. I mean, at this point, you kind of figure, I guess the sermon's over. But actually, this is when Jesus gives his greatest lesson. Mark chapter 2, verse 5 says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, and at this moment, everybody leans in because, oh, I bet Jesus is going to do a miracle, a healing. He'd done them before. And so Jesus says to him, he says, My child, oh, here it comes. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? Can, can you see that guy down on his mat? Like, what? Um, thank you for that. Because um, forgiveness is cool. That's good. But my problem is actually my legs. So that's kind of what I came for. I can't walk. Can, can you do something about that? <laughs> it's kind of funny in a way. But, but Jesus knows the biggest problem for all of us is not our bodies. It's our souls. Jesus knows something about that man. He knows something about you and me. And that is that sometimes the miracle we want is not really the miracle we need the most. Jesus could have healed that guy's legs. He will in a minute. He healed people all the time. But legs can become crippled again. Bodies can get better, but then they get sick again. What if this guy runs around for a few years and then dies? 
just like everybody does. And he's still not right with God. He isn't forgiven. He will have been more mobile in this life, but then stuck for all eternity where he doesn't want to be. His friends brought him to Jesus for a miracle. And the miracle Jesus gives is that he'll never be separated from God again. So here's the main thing for you to hold on to today. God, Yahweh, Rapha, miracle worker, God who heals, is ready to give you the miracle you need even if it's not the miracle you seek. Some of the Jewish leaders, they're shocked and they say, who does this guy think he is? No one can forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus says, now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. Because he realizes that he has this greater power of forgiving sins. So Jesus does the lesser miracle of healing his legs at that point to sort of authenticate and show that he has the power. And right there in full view of everyone, the man stands up and they praise Yahweh Rapha. And then it dawns on them, like it's dawning on all of us right now, that the greater miracle is that he got his sins forgiven by Jesus. Think about it. Even though that man ran home that day and said, honey, look, you know, I can, I can do the Macarena. Even though he got the miracle he wanted and was healed physically, He still died after that. In fact, all the people that Jesus healed, including the ones that he raised from the dead, still died, like Lazarus. He healed him from the dead, but he's not like still alive today, living in Naples or something. He he died. So get whatever miracle you're going for from God. That's all right, but you're still going to die. And you can't forgive your own sins. And those are your biggest problems. They're my biggest problems. It's why the greatest miracle... And the one Jesus is most interested in is not when he heals someone from cancer or or helps someone recover from a stroke, as, as amazing as that is, as cool as it is when he helps someone off of addiction or makes a bitter heart joyful. Those are, in a way, only temporary because what gets God really excited is the greater miracle when, he, when someone lets go of the wheel of their life and accepts the cleansing waters of baptism and the purification and healing of removing their bitterness, that they can experience the forgiveness of sins. When God saves a soul eternally, that's a miracle that Yahweh Rapha loves best, and it's the miracle you and I need the most, even if we're not seeking it. It's what we need the most. Our friend Jack was a leader here at Mountain for decades, and when he became gravely ill, we were all so concerned. He's in the hospital and hanging on by a thread, you know, it was touch and go. Um, One morning, I called his wife, Mary, and asked, how's Jack? I've been praying for him, you know, for his healing, and Mary said, oh, thank you, Ben. He's completely healed. And I was like, what? I didn't understand. I was like, wow, praise God. I was so happy, you know, and she said, yeah, we're so thankful to the Lord. And I was still a little confused. I said, so is he home then? And she said, yes, yes, he's home. And then her voice broke a little bit as she said it again. He's, he's finally home with the Lord. And he was ready. And that's when I, I realized when she said that he was healed. She meant Jack had passed from this life and left behind his struggling, pain-wracked, broken body and had finally received his ultimate and complete healing, the ultimate miracle. I was praying hard for physical healing because I thought that's what he needed, but physical healing would have been just like a temporary patch job at best. 
Jack was a devoted follower of Jesus. He trusted Christ completely. And Jesus had pulled him through, and now he had received his ultimate miracle, and he's alive forever. Jack's alive today, because even though God sometimes does these smaller miracles, the greatest miracle is when he defeated death once and for all. We just celebrated on Easter through Jesus, who went to the cross, rose again, and anyone who puts their trust in him can have the bitterness of sin removed and have your sins forgiven and life forever with the Lord. And Jesus says, in this world now, you're still going to have some trouble. We'll talk about that in a future week. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So in this time when we have trouble, our instinct is going to be to ask for miracles. And it can seem like that's what we really need from God today. God, I need a miracle to keep going right now. I I, I, I got to go to work. The social distancing is killing me. The, the homeschooling, I need a miracle. I can't do it with my business, my finances. I need a miracle because someone I love is sick. I'm worried. These are all legitimate concerns. And as we said last week, God says, I see you, and he cares, and he very often intervenes. And I love hearing the stories of what God is doing as a healer in those ways. But you know what? The miracle we need the most is not the one we seek very often. Remember that story in Exodus when God told Moses to throw that old tree into the water so the bitter could be made sweet, and he did. And that's where God got his name, Rapha the miracle worker, the healer. God wants to use a tree in your life too to do a miracle. Did you know? The same God that healed on that day loves the world so much that he took a tree and allowed his one and only son to experience pain and sorrow and to absorb evil and wrong. And then he died on that tree for you. Like Moses being asked to throw wood in the water, it may not make sense that a cross could save us, but I I like Isaiah 53 that says he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He's been beaten so that we could be made whole. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his what? Wounds. We are what? Healed. Uh, I, I don't know. I hear people say, I hope things get back to normal pretty soon, and I just want to say, I hope not. I hope not, because I know for a lot of people, normal was comfortable, normal was spiritually lukewarm, normal was being so preoccupied with making a living that a lot of us weren't living a life. So we've been given a gift in this coronavirus. It's a wake-up call. I don't mean to minimize the suffering and the trauma. I'm just saying some of us have been brought to the feet of Jesus, just like those friends brought their buddy. And it's time for some of you to say yes to Jesus to make changes in your life that you've ignored or put off for a long time, to allow God to do a miracle in you. Not maybe the miracle you want, but the miracle you need. How? You come to God with your need and you say, I cannot forgive my own sin. The Bible says we all have sin in us, just like bitterness. And then you do what God asks. And Romans says you declare with your mouth and you believe in your heart and you repent of your sin and you get baptized. You you can respond. There's stuff he tells you that you can do so he can do what only he can do. And that is to save you. To save you. Third step is you just trust God with the outcome. You just say, you're my God. That's who you are. And whatever the future holds, whatever this global pandemic thing means, Whatever happens to the economy, whatever, you can trust Yahweh Rapha.